of me and the God of me. And it seems to emphasize what he was saying, what was coming from his very heart as he addressed the Lord. And I couldn't help but think, you know, how that it might be. You know, I believe that all of us who know him, all of us, period, are going to stand and face him one day. What I might say when I see my Lord, what I might say, uh, how I might say it, whether I say it standing up or whether I fall on my face before him. And these words have been implanted in my heart thinking about the other Thomas. I'm not that one. I'm, I'm a Thomas, but I wasn't a doubting one. And uh, what I might say to him. And of course, uh, that's not the big deal what I might say to him. It's what's important is what, how we address him while we're here on this earth. And what we say and what we mean by what we say. My Lord and my God. So I read that statement and I got to doing a little checking in the Bible. And what I found out was that that statement had been made before. Uh, that commentary said it never had been uttered by anybody on this earth. And, uh, but in the 35th Psalm, and this is a Psalm of David, and listen to what David said, stir up thyself and awaken my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord, so Thomas wasn't the first one to say that. David had said it, and so the commentary was wrong. Commentator was wrong when he said that very thing. But regardless, that is an awesome statement to make. My Lord and my God. Now, there may be many in this world who know or believe what the Bible says that our Lord Jesus Christ is God. And the Bible does teach us that. And I'll address that a little bit, just a little bit later on. But to say it or to mouth those words and, and not mean it, see, are two different things altogether. So this is happening on the Lord's Day. I'll give you a little bit of background about what's taking place. It's happening on Sunday. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. And he met with his disciples that were assembled together on Sunday. I would say this, that not only did it on the first Sunday when he arose from the dead, but I have found at least four times after he rose from the dead that he met with his disciples disciples that were assembled together. And so there certainly was a pattern that was set forth. We just finished a study on Wednesday night. The request was, can we study the Sabbath and Sunday? And I sure have enjoyed teaching on that, the Sabbath uh, and Sunday. And so all of these things about the Lord meeting with his disciples and appearing to his disciples on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, and then John in the book of Revelation calling it the Lord's Day, and that is possessive, the Lord's Day. And you might find this interesting that only two times in the New Testament is that word Lord's, L-O-R-D apostrophe S, possessive, 
only two times used in the New Testament. The rest of the times it's not exactly that same Greek word. And the two times are the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Day. That's the only two times. And so it's possessive. So this is on the first day of the week that Jesus has, is appearing to his disciples. And the Bible teaches about, says, if you'll notice with me in verse 19, it says this, Then the same day, that's the same day was on Sunday, in the afternoon, after he had uh, appeared to others, other individuals, and then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And in verse 20 it says, And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were, they, were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, my Father has sent, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So this is on that first Sunday that he arose uh, from the dead. But then we pick up reading in verse 24 of the chapter, and here's what it reveals. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see the hands, the prints of the nails, and put my finger uh, into the prints of the nails, and thrust my hand in, into his side, I will not believe. So that's where he gets his reputation that has been stuck on him all of that time called Doubting Thomas. And I thought there was something uh, interesting about that because uh, earlier on, you might remember in, in the Bible where Jesus is uh, asking his uh, disciples, whom do men say that I am? And we believe that Jesus, uh, that Peter speaking for the rest of the disciples. I believe he was speaking for every one of them. I believe that was their confession. He said, we believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we would include Thomas in that group. And so how, how could it be that uh, he would think like this? And we know that uh, the disciples sort of misunderstood what Jesus had taught them and, and, what, and about uh, the fact that he was going to raise from the dead, that he was going to die, and then he was going to raise from the dead. And, and they somehow just sort of missed that. Their thought was that Jesus was going to eventually uh, become king of Israel. He was going to restore the kingdom back to them because they were under the domination of the Roman Empire. And that was what they thought and that's what they expected. And somehow or another they sort of missed. And we know from reading the Bible that Jesus had actually made it abundantly clear to them what was going to happen. He predicted his death and his resurrection uh, to those disciples, but somehow they just wanted to believe something else. And of course, this is some of the things that 
happened here. Now, Thomas was missing uh, on this first appearing, and one thing for sure, he, he missed something awesome. He missed something really special. I, I don't know, I, I've tried to imagine what I would have felt like had I been one of them and Jesus just appeared in that room uh, and, and to see him and him show them his hands and his side and, and make it abundantly clear to his followers that he had raised from the dead. Can you imagine what that must have been like? But we know Thomas missed something. He missed something. And of course, I, I say this every once in a while, and I like to say it because I firmly believe it. I believe when the Lord's Day come and we miss being assembled together as these disciples were, that we may not ever know exactly what we might have missed by not being present. You might say, well, we know that Jesus has already appeared to his followers and that's not going to happen again. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to know that when the gospel is set forth, that God uses it to accomplish his purpose in our personal lives if we know the Lord and that he speaks to our heart. And when we miss that, we may not know how the Spirit of God may speak to our heart and minister to us, minister to us and meet our needs. I know you've thought about that before. You know, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. You might say, well, faith has already come to me. I've already been blessed with faith in believing in the Lord. Well, faith also grows and prospers uh, through the ministry of the word. And so uh, it may be why that uh, for some faith is so weak and waning because they're not feeding on the word of God. I firmly believe that feeding on the word of God, not only uh, he blesses us with faith, but our faith grows as a result of that. I just believe that. And I know from my own personal experience how, how uh, using the Word of God and studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God, and I sure have done a lot of it, and I thank my God that I have. I thank my God that Him calling me to preach has forced me to do that. I don't know whether I'd do that if I didn't have to bring, bring you a message uh, every Sunday, but looking back, I believe I would. I believe I'd do it anyway. I'd dig in the Word of God. I'd study the Word of God. Study, the Bible says, to show yourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So Thomas missed out here. And what he said was, and this is a pretty brazen statement, uh, knowing what Thomas had been exposed to, I will not believe unless I can put my fingers in his uh, nail wounds in his hand. They had told him that they saw that. Or thrust my hand uh, into his side. Isn't that amazing that he had made that? And so uh, Jesus went on to say to him, be not faithless but believing. Be not faithless, but believing. And so that's a wonderful statement that he made uh, to Thomas relating to what he had said. And then I want to point this out. There wouldn't have been any doubt in these disciples' minds that Jesus had died. There wouldn't have been any doubt whatsoever. They had witnessed it all. 
They had seen it. They had seen the wounds inflicted in the Lord. They, they had witnessed that. Uh, and as I said a while ago, they thought it was uh, all over. They thought that there wasn't any more. They had thought he was coming to restore the kingdom. They didn't understand that he had to die, but he did die, and they knew he died. They witnessed that very fact. You know, there was a little uh, thing that was, uh, that's, that, you know, people have come up with different things related to the resurrection of the Lord, and, uh, you know, they were told, try to pass this around that, to tell that somebody had come and stolen his body away, you know, that he hadn't really raised. There's another theory, and a lot of people uh, use this today, that he had swooned. I don't know what it means to swoon, but I suspect that it means that he didn't, wasn't really dead, that he just was in a coma or something like that. And they put him in the tomb, and he sort of revived and come back, uh, come back alive. That, that was a theory. Well, you know, every one of these disciples knew better than that. They knew better because they had witnessed the crucifixion of our Lord. And I'm assuming that they probably was helpful and maybe took part in the fact that uh, Joseph had gone begged the body of Christ. And he had a, a brand new tomb that nobody had ever been laid. And he uh, got the body of Christ and took it and put it in that tomb and put a seal on it. And so I'm assuming that those disciples probably uh, took part in that. Whether or not they believed he was going to raise from the dead, they showed their honor to the Lord. You know what the Bible says about uh, on uh, that morning, very early in the morning, very early, that some of the ladies had come to the tomb to bring spices to anoint the body of the Savior. They, they were still showing their Regardless of what they believed about what was going to happen, they were still their loyalty and devotion uh, to the Lord. And then coming to our context this morning, uh, Thomas believes that Christ had risen. He believes that simply because of what happened here in the text. All of his thoughts about Jesus being dead disappeared here. But Thomas had earned the name of doubting Thomas in this, in this process. And Jesus had encouraged him to believe, have faith, and to believe, have faith. And of course we know what Jesus said following that. That is an encouragement to all of us who have not seen the wounds in his hands or in his feet or in his side. Yet we have believed. And the Lord tells us that they're blessed are those who do so. And so we come to this most profound confession, and I'm going to say in the New Testament, because I found one in the Old Testament. Now, this was unique because what he is saying is not just you are God, or not just that you are Lord, and, and you know this is an interesting passage of scripture in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Here's what Peter said in verse 36. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel uh, 
uh, be assured that God has made this same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. So how did Jesus become Lord? He became Lord because God, the Bible says, had made him thus. But what's unique about it is uh, Thomas's confession. He said, you are my Lord and you are my God. And uh, of course there are, he looks him right, looks right at Jesus and says that, Lord of me and God of me. It's not just the fact that he is, but of me and Lord of me. Isn't that something? And so uh, there are other confessions that are made in the New Testament that are close to this. As I mentioned a moment ago, there is what Peter said when the Lord said, Whom do men say that I am? They, they had told him some say this and some say that or whatever. And he said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as I, all the disciples who uh, had, had affirmed that very fact and so that's a pretty profound confession uh, to make too. Another one that I thought about was that old uh, publican. The Bible gives a story about how a Pharisee went up to pray and he starts praying and he's saying to the Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men are and all this kind of stuff and saying what, is, what all he does. And uh, there's nothing wrong with what we do, Amen. We ought to thank God that he gives us a desire in our heart to do anything that we do for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, what we, that's how we ought to approach that. But that old Pharisee said that. He made all those statements. And uh, he said, not even as this person, making reference to the poor publican. And when he got through praying, the publican smote upon his breast, wouldn't even wouldn't even look up, but smote upon his breast and say, thank God for uh, 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 being merciful to me, a sinner. Merciful to me, a sinner. He was a humble man. He was a humble man. You know what he knew? He knew he didn't deserve the least of the Lord's blessings on his life. That's what humility does. And the Bible says that we ought to be, ought to be humble. It don't make any difference how uh, good that we may think we live our life as Christians we ought to be humble and understand that no matter how good I could be I would not deserve the mercy and love and grace that the Lord has bestowed upon me and that makes us humble even more humble when we think of that so that was a pretty impressive confession that he made be merciful to me a sinner I thought about uh, how we address God when we pray, and I thought, what if, uh, what if a person, every time they prayed, they started out by saying, my Lord and my God. You know, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? It would be all right if we did that. And I, I've never done it. I may start doing it when I privately and personally pray uh, for His mercy on me, but what if that was the case? And you know, you hear a lot of different ways people address the Lord. Uh, I have heard probably every one of them over the years. 
Uh, I've told this story, but one of them I will never forget. Uh, at the Patty A. Clay Hospital, it's Baptist Health now, I remember years ago that I would, there would be a lot of people would go to same-day surgery there. I mean a lot of people. I got to know about everybody that had anything to do with same-day surgery because I'd, I'd show up if you was going to have surgery. If I could, I'd show up and I'd want to be uh, with you. And when they would come to take you away, uh, I would always say, well, well, let's have prayer together before you uh, take them to surgery. And I would lead in prayer, and they'd take the person off to surgery. And this one fellow that did that, I got to know him pretty good. He was a black man, and he would bring his card in there and get the patient. He was a really nice person and everything. And one day, I was going to have surgery. It was uh, triple hernia surgery. And there I was in the bed waiting to go have my surgery. And it just so happened at the time he come in to get me, there wasn't nobody else in the room. There had been, but there wasn't nobody else at that moment. He walks in and he said, Preacher, you're always in here to pray for somebody. And there's nobody here to pray for you. I said, well, they have and are. And, no, but I, I mean in here they... For I take you take take you away. I said, "Well, how about you do it?" He reached and grabbed me by the hand, and the words that come out of his mouth was, "Precious Father," <laughs> I've never forgot those words. "Precious Father," that was something. I never, I don't remember any of the other words that he said, but he addressed the Lord in that way, "Precious Father," and so. That may be a thought that you could have related to your prayer life. Now, I want to address two statements that he made here in a little more detail. First of all, I want to touch on this. A profound statement as to the deity of Christ. A profound statement as to the deity of Christ. I wonder how many believe that he was God. Is God. Not just was, but is God. And that's what he's saying. He is God. Thomas said, you're my God. You are my God. Now, this is not unusual for the writer of this book. Uh, I, I guess we maybe shouldn't be have favorite authors of books of the Bible, but you can't hardly help it. And wherever I'm reading in the scripture, usually uh, that's my favorite at the time. And then maybe the next time it might be somebody else. But I'll tell you what. It's hard to beat John's writings. It really, really is. And I appreciate them so much. And they're just different. You know, they call the other three the synoptic gospels, and then there's the gospel of John. And you know, when you read the very first words of his gospel, if you wasn't familiar with it, you'd think, oh boy, here comes something special. And it, and it is, of course. It is. There, there are texts that I could point out in the book of John that are, and you know, I've uh, done a little work on a sermon I want to preach. Uh, the great doctrines and verses of Scripture in the Bible that just flat settle it. Of course, we know that we're not to pick something out or whatever, but there are Scripture passages that when you read them, 
it, it, every, every other view or whatever just goes away simply because it states it so plainly. So when you start reading in the book of John, the very first word you read, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word is capitalized in your Bible, or it better be. You might ought to get another one if it's not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's an accurate translation of the original language. I don't care what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. They don't believe that, see? And they've changed the wording around a little bit in order that they won't have to believe that. But that's what the Bible said. John said it. And the Word was God. And the Word is God. And then another one in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel says this. In chapter number 10, and just real simple little statement is used in verse 30. And Jesus is talking about here uh, that he says, uh, he told them unbelievers, uh, well, I'm going to back up to verse 25. It's, all, it's so good. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. And in verse 26, but you believe not because you're not my sheep. Did you hear that? There are a lot of people that believe not. Jesus said to them, you believe not because you are not my sheep. Those are powerful words that he spoke. As I said unto you, my sheep, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me now let me tell you something you talk about verses passage scripture that settles the matter Jesus is settling the matter he said my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give unto them what kind of life eternal you mean really yes that's what the Bible says and they know other ways.